recorded sermon this week, I'm very sorry. <laughs> uh, you can ask my husband, me and technology don't normally play very well together, so it's going to be interesting to see how it goes. Um, <clears throat> so a lot of you guys already know this about me, but um, I volunteer in the community as a CASA. Um, what that stands for is Court Appointed Special Advocate. Basically what my role is, is when a child is taken from their home for whatever reason and they're placed into foster care, the court assigns an individual. Uh, it's always a volunteer. It's never someone paid. That way there's no way that it can look like they're pulling for an agency or like that they're pulling for a parent or anything like that. Um, we are unpaid uh, people that just are interested in advocating for kids that have lost their voice. Um, and basically what we do is we go before the judge whenever they have court. We check up on them, make sure that they're doing okay, make sure that their needs are being met. We uh, talk with their parents, and we make sure that their parents are doing what they're supposed to do for the court and staying on track that way. Um, but I remember when I started going through the trainings to become a CASA, the very first training, the CASA director told me and the rest of the class that everyone has bias, that there's always going to be a type of person or a person that they're going to have bias about. Usually what, what she was leaning toward or aiming at when she was talking about this was basically that there's going to be individuals who it's really hard for us to see past whatever they're stuck in. Um, for her in particular, it was that she didn't understand when people had mental health issues why they don't take their medications. And that one was always the hardest one for her. And I remember sitting in the class <laughs> thinking, I really don't feel like I have any biases. I don't feel like there's anyone that I feel biased about or like that I have anything against any particular person or group of people. I really feel like I'm pretty good at seeing that God loves everyone. And I feel like I can see through people's brokenness pretty well. Um, and so I just remember sitting there thinking, nah, not me. Maybe you guys have biases. Maybe everyone else has biases. I don't because apparently I just got my stuff together a little better. Um, and then I received my first cases. And um, I became aware, huh, I, I do have biases. Um, one of my cases, it was, you know, the parents couldn't stay off drugs, um, didn't want to seem to get a job, wouldn't, wouldn't keep a job, things like this. And I remember just thinking to myself, like, your child wants to be back with you. You clearly love your child. I don't understand why you're still making these choices. You know, and then there was another one where it was like their dad was constantly out of the picture. They were just never coming around and, um, again, choosing drugs or different things over their child. And it was just one of those where I honestly found it really hard for me to say that I love those people. Um, I could still do it, but it was pretty hard. I really had to fight to see through that and to remember that they're loved by God. Um, so when we're talking about bias, that's really what I'm explaining here, is just that there are people that we find it a little bit harder to love. And I believe here in this room that just like my CASA director said, that everyone in here probably has their own biases as well. Um, just people that we don't particularly care about, um, or maybe types of people that we just find unlovable, whatever it might be, we all have our own biases. 
and all of us, um, or if you're like me sitting here thinking that you don't have any, I really hope that's true. And if it is, we need to talk. That's really cool. I want to know what your secret is and how you can just keep yourself from ever going down that path and having to really work at it. Uh, but my suspicion is that most of you will identify with what I've said, and there will be a person that you could identify or a group of people that you could identify in your mind that you do have some kind of bias about, people that you have difficulty stomaching for whatever reason. That said, it's also my hope that by the end of today, maybe we can start on this journey towards starting to see them the way that God sees them. Maybe that God can start working in our hearts and we can start talking about them differently and just learning to embrace them and love them the way that God does. So today we're going to be in Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through 18. Um, you guys are welcome to follow along on version also, just so you know, I'm not going to like call you out if I see you on your phone. I'm going to assume that you're being good churchgoers and you're looking at the Bible on your phone. I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> it's always the weirdest thing when you think people are going to laugh and then they don't and it's just kind of awkward. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Makes me feel a little better. All right, but before we start reading this passage, I just want to talk a little bit about the backstory. So if you go back to chapter 10 um, and you're reading through it, you're going to see an encounter that Luke is explaining between Peter and a man named Cornelius. And um, Acts chapter 11 is going to also reference this. It's going to explain this encounter, but if you guys want to, you can always go back to Acts chapter 10 and you can read the full account there. Um, so I'm just going to go ahead and start reading. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him. Um, and I'm going to stop right there. The circumcised believer, that's, that's talking about the Jews. Um, they were criticizing him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men, Gentiles, and you ate with them? Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I was in the city of Joppa praying. And in a trance, I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. Then I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and then it was all pulled up to heaven again. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them, and as he came, just as he came on us in the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gives us, who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, so then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. 
So one of the things that I want to just talk about briefly is that um, in the beginning, whenever, whenever Christianity was first becoming a thing, when the church was first started, people of the way, as they were called, it was very quickly turning into another sect of Judaism. It was very quickly turning into, this is for this group of people only. It's not for these other people. That certain people should be able to receive and be able to take part in it, but not everyone. There had also been a belief that it was only for those who had taken part in Judaism. So basically, it was for the Jews, uh, not for anybody else. It was not for those who were outside, the unclean or the unchosen people of God. What I find most interesting about the fact, when I was reading this chapter and I just really was focusing on what's going on here, the first thought that jumped out to me was that it took this vision for Peter to understand that he was supposed to take the message to the Gentiles. And the reason that I feel like this is so surprising is because we have to consider the fact that he journeyed with Jesus for three years. For three years, he did life with Jesus, ate meals with Jesus. He went everywhere Jesus went, ministered with Jesus, learned from him. But for whatever reason, during that time, he never understood that it was for all people, even though Jesus made it very clear that it was for all people. A few months ago, we even read about an encounter in Luke chapter 4, where Jesus is at the synagogue and he's preaching. And we have to remember that these people he was preaching to were people that knew him. These were people that he grew up with, that knew his mother and father, that knew his background. So he shows up to the synagogue. They've heard about all these amazing things that he's done other places. And they're like, all right, sweet. Jesus is here. He is preaching. He read from Isaiah 61 where it talked about that he had come to release the prisoners, to, to heal the sick. And they were so excited because they'd heard about all these things he did everyone else, everywhere else. And so they were like, well, for sure, if he's looking out for everyone else, they're gonna, he's going to look after us. We're number one, clearly, on his priority list because we're his people. But Jesus being Jesus, he knew what their thoughts were. They didn't even have to say it. And he knew that this was what they were thinking, that they were going to get the special treatment because they were Jesus's people. And so Jesus called them out on it and rebuked them. And basically he told them, this message is not just for you. He even went so far as to say, a prophet can't do any good in his, own, in his hometown. He also went on to reference Elijah and Elisha and different things that they had done. Ben? The faces? <laughs> oh, sorry, he's, make, he's making faces at the baby. It's really throwing me off. <laughs> I just see somebody... <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> sorry about that. But he is, he's, he's in this place, and he tells them that it's not just for them. He came for everyone. He, he talked about Elijah and Elisha, who did these different works, and it was not for people that were Jewish. It was for people outside of Judaism. And they did not take very kind to Jesus talking about this. In fact, they were going to kill him. They were ready to throw him off a cliff over this. But my point is, it's just bizarre that Peter walked with this man who said from the very beginning that he came for the whole world and it took this vision for him to actually finally understand it. I don't understand why it took a vision from God for Peter to have this realization. Um, and why was there still so much misunderstanding and misinformation just in general? Because it talks about that there were other apostles that went and questioned Peter about going to this house. So it just doesn't make any sense to me. 
But regardless, Peter had this vision, and it was ultimately overturning everything that he had ever stood against, all of these convictions he had about never eating or touching anything unclean. And it was no wonder why, Paul, why Peter's reply was, yeah, I'm not doing that. That stuff's unclean. It's never touched my lips. Not going to happen, God. I'm not doing it. And then what was the reply from heaven? Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. So Peter went on to explain the unfolding of the rest of the events and talked about how the three men were sent to him where he was staying. Talked about how the Spirit told him not to have any, any hesitation in going with them to the house. That Cornelius, the Gentile, who had seen an angel and told him to send for Peter, would bring him a message through which him and his whole household would be saved. How as he spoke, the Holy Spirit came on them, and as he had done just for the apostles at the very beginning. Then how Jesus' words about baptizing with the Holy Spirit came fresh in his mind. About the revelation Peter had that if God gave the Gentiles the same gift that he gave the apostles, that who were they to stand in God's way and keep them from receiving that gift? And then finally, upon hearing Peter's account, those who had previously questioned him abandoned their objections and then said, wow, so then even the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads life that leads to life. So in the last, the last few weeks since Easter, we've been really looking at the unexpected acts. And not just the unexpected acts of the apostles, but really just the unexpected acts of God. The different things that God has done, the things that Jesus does that we just don't see coming. And this is one of those that even though Peter should have seen it coming, what an amazing revelation to realize that this gospel, that message that they had was to everybody, everyone. And this week mostly is going to be about the unexpected act of grace, the ridiculous grace that we're offered through Jesus Christ. Since the beginning of history, since the creation of mankind and the first time that man disobeyed God, God has been pursuing his most beloved creature ever since. When you go through Genesis all the way through Revelation, you start in Genesis and you just see this pattern of God showing up, of his people turning their backs, getting away from him. And what does he do? He gets back in front of them and calls for their attention again. This pattern is repeated over and over and over again. He pursues, people reject, he pursues, they reject. He never stops showing up. This is the demonstration of love that we have of our God. Every page of our Bible is drenched in love. Sometimes it doesn't look like it. Sometimes it looks a little bit scary. But when you ultimately, when you read the message and you really read what's going on, you just see this overarching love that our Father has for us. How he's just been calling and how he continues to call. How when somebody surrenders their life and repents, that you are justified immediately immediately, regardless of guilt. And we're all guilty. We're justified immediately. There is no second waiting. There's no waiting for anything else to happen. It happens immediately. At the same time, we're called regenerated beings at that moment when we've repented and we believe. We are regenerated. We are new creations in Christ. And what that means is that it doesn't matter what you did five minutes ago. It doesn't matter what you did 30 seconds ago. What matters is your new life in Christ. He calls you a new creation, redeemed, set apart, made for his glory to do his work on earth. 
So going back to the text today, I love that in verse 18, the phrasing that they used when they, when they accepted what Peter told them, that even to the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Christ did not come for some, but for all. He came for those who already feared God, who were already walking in the way just as much as he came for those who rejected God over and over again, or those who continue to reject God. Those are also the people that he came for just as much. Those who live life according to their whims and desires, those who we would dare to say do evil and call it good. He died for all and he paid the price for all. How dare we call anything that God has created, anything that God has made clean, how dare we call it impure and decide who's worthy and who's not? So my question to you guys is this today, is really search inside yourselves and think about what biases do you have? What group of people is it? Or maybe it's an individual person who's done something to you. Whatever it might be, who is it that you have a bias against? Is it one person in particular? Is it a group of people? Let's speak politically for a second. I'm sure that I'm not the only one who's been upset before about a political stance or somebody has hurt my feelings or they've called me names because of where I stand politically or possibly maybe I've been that person who calls other people names because of where they stand politically. There are a lot of different ways that we can be biased against people. Politi politics is certainly not the only one and I'm not saying this in a judgmental way either. I want to say this just because I'm just trying to get you guys to think about what it might be, what biases that you might have against other people. Admittedly, there will always be a level of bias that exists in us that's going to have to be chipped away little by little until it's gone. And the bias is going to be different for all of us, but it's there in some way. So then how do we fix the issue of bias? How do we fix this issue, just like what's taking place in this book, where they're like, you went and ate in the house of an uncircumcised man. How do we fix that? Well, one of the things that I believe we have to change first, we have to pray. We have to pray for that individual or that group of people, whoever it is, we have to pray. We have to take it to God earnestly, intercede for them. The other thing that we have to do is we have to control our thoughts. Jesus told the Pharisees that from out of, your heart, out of your heart, your mouth speaks. Our mouth doesn't just go off and say things we don't believe. It starts right here in our thoughts. We have to take our thoughts and hold them obedient to Christ. When we have thoughts that are unloving or we think about anybody or a group of people in a way that is not the way that God would think about them, we have to stop. We have to change it and start thinking of them the way that God would. And pray, ask God to help you do that because it's not easy. It is going to take a change of heart, truly. And it's going to take some work. So we want to pray for people by name. The other thing is that we want to replace that recording that we've had playing in our minds about this person or this group of people. And we can replace them by the words, with the words of Peter in 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. When we change our train of thought, 
When we go, when we have a thought about how unloving somebody is, how much we don't like them, how much they're less than us for whatever reason, when we hang on to those words, Christ came not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And he is patient. And with the words spoken to Peter in the, account that, in the account that we just read about, don't call anything impure that God has made clean. So when you have those thoughts stopping yourself and just saying, whoa, I don't have the right to talk about God's creation that way. We don't exist to determine who's worthy of saving or who's worthy of being shown and told about the greatness and, and grace of Jesus. Once we've changed the way that we think about this person or this group of people, we have to move on to the fourth step. And what that is, is to change how we talk about this person. Sometimes that can be really challenging too. I will say that once you've got the thoughts under control, the speaking part does become easier until, how many of you guys have certain people, it's like you go around them and you know that topic's going to come up and you know it's going to be negative. I have a person in my life, no names mentioned, who that's one of the ways I can get them to talk is if I mention something they don't like and it's just real quick. And so one of the things I've had to learn over the years is I can't speak about it. I can't bring it up. I have to stay quiet, which isn't always easy to do, but that's something that we have to do out of respect for that person, out of the love that God has for them, that when you catch yourself about to, that you just remember that they are loved by God and that we replace all those things with that only. So I know I already told you guys this, but you know, this week with the, with the burglary that happened at the church, um, this wasn't originally where I was going to go, but I just got to tell you, this guy's been on my heart a lot, um, the person that did this. And how do we take the message of grace and redemption to this individual. What, it, what would it look like if when he gets out of jail in a year or a couple of years or whatever might have you and he walks in through our door, if we just accept him with open arms, with the love of Christ? So we're going to be doing connecting time here in just a minute. The band's going to go ahead and come back up here. One of the things I really want to encourage you guys as we move into this connecting time is to think about that person or that group of people, whoever it might be, that you tend to feel a little bit of a bias toward. If you can't think of anyone, that's okay. I want you to think about this man that, that broke into our building and, and took our stuff. Not because I want him to be punished. I don't want us to sit around and think negative things about him. What I do want to think about is the way that God would love to embrace him. What I want to think about is... I have this vision in my mind. You know, we all know the story of the prodigal son. When the son comes running home, the dad hikes up his knees and he just takes off running. And I fully believe in my heart. That's what, that's what it looks like. That's all God wants with every single one of us. It doesn't matter what they look like, what they've done. He wants all of us equally. So if you would like to during this time, um, I just think it would be awesome if we intercede for this man and just pray for him. Pray that maybe while he's in jail, he could have an amazing encounter with Christ that could fully change his life. I don't know what that looks like. God does. But I know it can happen. And I think it starts with prayer. Actually, I know it does. 
And that goes for whoever it might be, that we just pray that we intercede for them right now. So in addition to that, we do have different stations for connecting time. Back there we have a cross that you can just go and you can write something down and nail it to the cross, just signifying it that you're surrendering it to Christ, whatever it might be. Sometimes that looks like an addiction maybe that you need to give up. Sometimes it looks like a pride thing that you need to give up. Whatever it might be, an, an illness in the family, something that is hindering you from being able to draw closer to God or something that is just really upsetting in your life, that you would just take it and nail it to the cross. But the hard part is going to be walking out these church doors, truly leaving it at the feet of Jesus, leaving it in his hands. Back there we have candles that you can light. There's nothing magical about lighting candles, but there is just something powerful and special about the, sorry, Matt, about the way that the light just penetrates the darkness. And that's why we have that station. Over here we have an area where you can just give of your tithes and offering. We do that during this part of our service because we believe it's an act of worship. We believe it's something we do very intentionally, that we get up and that we give, and it's uncomfortable. I don't know if you guys have noticed, though, but God doesn't generally call us to the things that are comfortable. He usually calls us to the things that are very uncomfortable. Over there, we have um, different cards. I, I, we've been talking about them several weeks now, but we've got students that are going to be going to a conference in July. If you guys want to write down a prayer, we don't have names necessarily. You don't need to write your names, but just write a prayer for a student. There's going to be a prayer wall where they're going to be displayed, and every student can walk by and just see how they've been prayed for before this conference and during this conference. Finally, we also have communion. And if you guys want to take communion, it'll be up here. What I want to say is as we're taking communion, as we're remembering Christ, thinking again on this, don't call anything impure that God has made clean. And it was made clean by the sacrifice of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus. So as you guys take your communion this morning, if you would just take the time to think about that, remember that it was grace alone that saved you, that still saves you, that's going to save others. And as you take your communion, that you would just let that be fresh in your mind, the washing, the cleansing of the blood of Jesus. However you guys want to, want to do that this morning, however you want to connect, this is just your opportunity to do it. Body of Christ broken for you. Blood of Christ spilled for you. Body of Christ blood for you. Blood of Christ spilled for you. Body of Christ broken for you. Blood of Christ spilled for you. Body of Christ broken for you. Blood of Christ spilled for you. Body of Christ broken for you. Blood of Christ spilled for you. Body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ spilled for you. Body of Christ broken for you. Blood of Christ spilled for you. Body of Christ broken for you. Blood of Christ spilled for you. Body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ spilled for you. Body of Christ spilled for you. Body of Christ broken for you. 
the blood of Christ spilled for you. From my mother's womb, you've chosen me. Body of Christ broken for you. Blood of Christ spilled for you. Body of Christ broken for you. Blood of Christ spilled for you. Blood of Christ spilled for you. Body of Christ broken for you. Blood of Christ spilled for you. Body of broken for you. Blood of Christ spilled for you. Body of Christ broken for you.
grieve to fear Cause I am a child of God And I'm no longer a slave to fear I am a child of God this is that can you imagine what it would look like if we were the church to everyone even to those we find it difficult to love even to those that we feel like that grace thing I don't know they might be too far gone as you guys go this week I just ask that you make a commitment to pray that you'd pray that when that person comes to mind or those people that you would just pray that God would take control of their lives. That you would pray that God would give you his heart, his mind, his love for those people. That you guys would make a commitment to just change the way that you think about them when they come to mind and how you speak about them. That you guys would go today and just take the message of grace with you wherever you go. I hope you guys have a great week. And while you're praying, I just ask you also pray for our students that are going down to San Diego this week. We leave Thursday right after school. It's a good long drive. We're going to be in a 12-passenger van, and there's 12 people. So it's going to be packed very full. Um, <laughs> it's going to be great. But just while you're praying, just pray for protection um, as we're driving. Pray for the students. Um, this is a really neat opportunity for them, a great way for them to encounter Jesus, some of them for the first time. This will be, the, in fact, I know of at least one student, this will be the first time he's ever been exposed to any type of church, anything. Um, so this is going to be really cool. And just be praying for them while you guys go. I hope you guys have a wonderful week.